You may be seated. Take your Bible this morning and turn to Acts chapter 2, and uh, we're going to begin in verse 36. Acts chapter 2, and beginning in verse 36. And if you got the church app, you can just uh, press the sermon notes there and then press the blue scripture, and it'll open up for you. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 46. This being the uh, end of February, this is uh, the last in this series of renewal that I've been uh, sharing with you over the last couple of months. And uh, as we wind this down, uh, next month we're going into a new series called Mission Impossible. And uh, we'll see what God has to say about the possibilities in our life. But in Acts chapter 2 in verses 36 through 37, we're looking at the renewed church. And uh, the word renew or renewal that we've been focused on means to restore back to its original state or to revive something, to get it back to what it once was, uh, to get it back to some functioning the way that it originally was designed to be. And so renewal or renewed means to get it back to that origin, to that renewed state. I have a uh, granddaughter that uh, has a uh, little doll that she calls Sadie that uh, she had kind of a sentimental attachment to. And uh, with Sadie, one day she had something that kind of was devastating happening. She was playing with Sadie and moving its arms and so forth. The arms were intended to kind of rotate and move out. And one of the arms broke off. It was her left arm. And so that arm was kind of separated from its body. Jason, do you have a picture of Sadie that we can look at up here? This is Sadie after uh, my granddaughter had got through playing with her on this particular day. And you can see the arm is no longer attached there. And with great disappointment, she's talking to her uh, mother about Sadie's arm breaking off. And her mother looks at it and they kind of check on a few things in Facebook. And she tells her daughter that, that it looks like probably the best they can do is to glue Sadie's arm back on and it'll just have to be stationary. So she'll have one arm that will move like this and one arm that's just there. And so I asked them if I could look at the doll because I hated for her to have this doll that she had this sentimental attachment to and it's just got one stiff arm there. So after a little bit of experimenting and so forth, I uh, was able to get that uh, doll back together, kind of get it back in a renewed state so that it would rotate and move. And I think I got a little video clip of uh, me showing her what had happened to Sadie after we worked on it a little bit. So as you can see there, Sadie's left arm is now rotating and moving back and forth. And that was a little difficult to do with one hand video and in one hand moving. But uh, she was tickled to get her doll back into its renewed state where that arm was functioning. And Sadie was back renewed and revived. I did tell her, though, to be very careful with Sadie. We didn't want that arm to break off again like it had been once before. So she was glad to have her doll back and with its arms both moving like it was intended, it was back to its renewed state. It was revived back to the way it was. And when we look at within Christianity, within the church today, sometimes you have to wonder, do we need a little bit of renewal in the church? Do we need a little bit of reviving to bring the church today back to its original state of the New Testament church and the way that it was when the early disciples, those early 120 disciples were anointed with the Holy Spirit and they began to spread the gospel and people started coming to know Christ and they began to be a part of what we call the New Testament church. Is there a need today for some renewal in the church to get us back 
to that original state so that we're the church that God intended for us to be. So I want us to look at Acts chapter 2 and look at these scriptures and I'm going to bring out seven things that I see in these scriptures that I think needs to be renewed in the church today. The church, just like Sadie, has sometimes got a little bit of brokenness. And I believe that we have in some ways kind of accepted that just a modified version of church is okay. But I think within Christianity, we can never accept a modified version of the church. We need to be revived and brought back to the original state that God intended for us to be at. So let's look at this in Acts chapter 2 and verses 36 through 37. And we begin in verse 36 after, remember, they've had the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit has descended on those 120 disciples. They've began to spread the gospel and people are starting to hear that. And if we were to read the scriptures in Acts chapter 2 prior to uh, verse 36, we would see that Peter, has stood up and given like a little sermonette. If it's had all the content that's in the scriptures there, it probably took him about 10 minutes to speak it. And then at the end of that, here's what he says in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel, and we would say all the house of God today, know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, And the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who had gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and, that, and divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, I said I wanted to bring out seven things in these scriptures I see that I believe we as a church, the church in general in the world today, needs to get back to its origin, needs to revive back in the church for us to be the renewed church that God intended for us to be to start with. And I believe that one of the things that pops out to me in these scriptures in the verses 36 and 37 that was true about the early church was this. They were sensitive and responsive to the word of God. The New Testament church was sensitive when they heard the word of God. And not only were they sensitive to it, they responded to what they heard. The problem that we have within churches today is that people come and they sing songs and they listen to a preacher for a little while, but we have lost our sensitivity to what God's word is having to say to us today where we are. Now I want you to listen to what happened to these early disciples in that verse 36 and 37 says that they were cut to the heart. That's what it says in verse 37. 
And Peter to, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So when it says that they were cut to the heart means that they were ready, they were listening. And when they heard Peter give this 10-minute sermonette, man, it just went bam, right into their heart. And when it got into their heart, they could not stand to stay the way that they were. Something had to change. And so they looked at Peter and the other apostles and they said, men, what have we got to do? What have we got to change in our life? What have we got to do to get our lives where they need to be? And I believe that we have within the church today that we've come so accustomed to just kind of going through the routines that we don't come into church ready to say, God, what do you have to say to me? I want to hear what you want to speak to me, and God, I want to change in my life. Over the years, uh, this coming Mother's Day, I will be in pastor of this church for 28 years. And over those 28 years, when I first started preaching, I assumed everybody was in agreement to what you would say was the truth of God's word, and everybody would want to make changes in their life when you brought the truth out. And then over the years, I began to experience times where I would preach and people would be saying, well, you're just being judgmental. You think you're better than the rest of us. No, I'm changing my life as God preaches to me, and I'm just sharing with you what God has done in my life. I even had people over these 28 years, I've had people say, we'd like to meet with you. And come in to the church and meet with me and say, we don't like what you've been preaching about a certain subject. And if you don't change that, we can't stay here. Because you're giving your opinion. I said, if I give my opinion, I try to say this is my opinion. But when it's in uh, black and white or red in the Bible, it's not my opinion. It's God's opinion. It's God's word. It's his truth. That's where these people were in the uh, New Testament church. They were sensitive to God's word. And when they heard it, they had to make a change. They didn't say, hey, quit judging me. You're no better than I am. And let me tell you, I'm no better than anybody else. I'm like the Apostle Paul. I feel like I'm chief among sinners. And because of that, when I read God's word, he cuts me to the heart. The Bible tells us that God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword, cutting not only to the heart, but to the bone and marrow, which means God's word's intended to get deep down inside of us and to change our lives. You know why God wants to change us? Because he's got something better for us. God doesn't want to leave us just like, matter of fact, when any one of us accepts Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, when we get saved, when we accept Christ as our Savior, when we turn our lives over to him, he has a plan to make us into a better person and give us a better life, not to leave us just like we are. So the New Testament church, they were sensitive to God's word. And then they responded to it. And you know what the Bible also tells us? Not to be hearers only, but to be doers of God's word. God always is intended for us to hear his word and then do something based on what we've heard and not try to defend ourselves and try to push it off on something else or say, I'm just as good as anybody else. But it's for us to be individually, us and God, and seeing what God has to say to us. Is there a need today for maybe an increase in sensitivity and responsiveness to God's word to change our lives and to be in what God wants us to be? Not only were they sensitive and responsive to the word of God, but they were filled with the spirit. If you look at that verse 38 that Peter told them to those early believers, he said, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what changed everything, wasn't it? The Holy Spirit of God coming to live inside of them. 
And you know, when you look at the Bible, the Bible tells us that and it teaches us when we accept Christ as your personal Savior, you're filled with the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. But as we are filled with God's Spirit, the Bible also tells us we worship God in spirit and in truth. Which means that when we receive God's Spirit inside of us, when we come to worship, His Spirit is going to just lead us in that worship. And everybody's not the same way in worship, are they? There are some people, when I step into the sanctuary and I begin to hear praise and worship, I just got to raise my hands to God. I've got to express it in some way. That is the spirit and the truth rising inside of me. Some may be that when you come to worship, it just suddenly gets in your mind and maybe you just start to meditate and think about it. But we all have our own way of worship, but God wants us to worship in spirit and in truth. And then the Bible tells us that we're to be guided by the spirit. So the Bible is teaching us that the church is not about following some ritual or some routine or some list of guidelines of do one, two, three, four, five. But it's teaching us that God's spirit is what's got to lead us and guide us. And so if we lay out everything, you know, when we're planning the service, when I'm planning to preach, I plan what I'm going to preach and I ask God to guide me and direct me, but I do it. What This is the first thing I do. Matter of fact, sometimes when I'm studying, I'll start to pop open the scripture and I start to read. But just about as soon as I start reading, if I haven't prayed and asked for God's spirit to guide me, to direct me, to bring alive to me what he wants me to bring alive to you, I take a time out. I say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I just started reading and I didn't ask for your guidance, your leadership. And so I'll take a moment, I'll just ask God to forgive me and I'll ask him, i say, Lord, I want you to fill me with your spirit. God, I want you to reveal to me the truth of your word. God, I want you to show me things that I have not seen before. Show me in a different way so that I can bring out the truth of God's word in a way that finds us where we are relative to our life so that we can make changes in our life to be more like what you want us to be. And so these early disciples, Peter looked at them, he said, I want you to repent I want you to be baptized. And some are saying, join the church and let it end at that. But Peter said, no, I want you to be filled with the Spirit. I want God's Spirit to fill you and guide you and direct you and mold you and make you into the person he wants you to be. The early disciples were filled with the Spirit. But they were also sensitive to the spiritual condition of their children. I want you to look at what Peter said in verse 39 and verse 40. He After he told them to repent, receive the Holy Spirit, he said, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted to them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. When Peter was speaking to them, it seems almost a little bit strange that all of a sudden he says, hey, in this promise that I'm telling you to repent, be baptized and be filled with the Spirit, it's not just for you, but it's for your children and those afar off, those who have not even been born yet, for your children and your grandchildren. So Peter is revealing to them that they needed to be sensitive to the spiritual condition of their children. And I have found that within Christianity today that a lot of times as adults, we grow up and this is our church But our children, it hasn't become their church. It's our God, but it hasn't become their God. And then we wonder why our children are not living for God when they grow up and get out on their own. It's because we are more sensitive and we're more concerned about the 
other conditions of our children, whether they're the most popular at school, whether they're the homecoming queen or the homecoming king, whether they're excelling in a sport. We get concerned about all these other things and we don't put that same emphasis, that same priority about the spiritual condition of our children. When in essence, the Bible is teaching us over and over, not only through the uh, New Testament church here in Acts chapter 2, but as we look through the entire Bible, the Bible is teaching us that it's the parents and the grandparents' responsibility to embed into their children. If your mindset, if you have a child or grandchildren that you're bringing to church, if your mindset subconsciously or consciously is, I'm bringing them, I'm handing them over to Wendy for Awandas, I'm handing them over to Elisa for Discover Church, I'm handing them over to Debbie for class. So you, you teach my kids how to live for God and love God. You're going to be sorely disappointed, not because they've done a bad job, but because you're spending more time with them than they are. This may be a shocker to some people, but I have seen kids go into classes and in groups and they get taught some great things and get stirred up and then go home and their parents tear down everything that they learned at church. How do they tear it down? It's not like the parents go and say, well, what they said was a lie. I'm not talking about that. They go home and their parents, by their actions and their attitudes and the words that they speak and the shows that they watch, and the activities that they're involved in tear down everything that they just found out at church. And so for about an hour, we got to feed into them some things about God, and then for the rest of the week, eight hours a day, parents are tearing down what they could have learned and expanded for their children. Peter says, this promise is not only to you, but it's to your children and your grandchildren. The best thing that parents can do is find out what their kids are learning at church and expand upon it at home. Help it to grow deep inside of them so that it takes root in their life. The best thing that parents can do is make sure that their own children have come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I don't think there's nothing more exciting for a parent than to know that they had a part in leading their child to come to know Jesus Christ. And then to know that they had a part of teaching that child that this is not your, just your parents' church, this is your church. And they help them to become involved in church and participate in church and be active in the church so that when they grow up and they become adults, this was not just their parents' church, but it was their church. I met a young man that I've known for quite a while since he was very young, and I was talking to him, and I started talking to him about his church, thinking he was still at the same church he had been at when he was growing up. And he said, no, I don't go to church there no more. I said, oh, I didn't know. I said, where are you going at now? He began to talk to me. He said, you know, he said, uh, at at that church I grew up in, that was really my mom and dad's church. When he said that, I was like, oh, God. Mm." He said, that was my mom and dad's church. And you know, it's, and this is no reflection on anybody of any age, but this is the words out of his mouth. He said, it's mostly old people there. So what he was basically saying was that this, this really has never been really my church. It's been their church. Now, again, that wasn't any reflection on anything about anybody being old or young or anything else. It's a reflection on the fact that they weren't growing them up to be that was their church. And they were reaching more people so that it was continually of all ages 
making up the church. The church should be like a family. You find people at all different ages within the church. And so Peter says, this promise is for you and your children and your grandchildren. The New Testament church was one that made sure all ages were come to know Christ. The fourth thing that I see in these scriptures is that they were reaching the lost for Christ. In that verse 41, it says, on that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. If you were to go down to the last verse in verse 47, it says that there were people being added daily to the church. Now, within Christianity and within the church, some churches do a good job at reaching folks. One of the things that we're part of the Southern Baptist Convention, but one of the things that the Southern Baptist Convention has been concerned about is the growing decrease in the amount of people coming to know Christ and following the Lord in baptism. And how many massive numbers of, people, of churches that report no baptisms and no salvations. That's kind of like a family that never has any children. Eventually it's going to die out, isn't it? And so within the convention, within the Southern Baptists, within the Georgia Baptists, there's a lot of emphasis on trying to do things to encourage churches to be able to reach the lost and see them come to know Christ, to repent, be baptized, and be filled with the Spirit. And here we look at the New Testament church, and there were 3,000 that were saved on one day, and the Bible tells us that daily they were being added to the church. So even within Christianity, within the church, even those that are reaching the laws, a lot of times that within Christianity, we're counting on, okay, we'll have some type of event and people will get saved and they'll follow the Lord in baptism. That may be vacation Bible school, might be an Easter drama, and we see people saved at those. It might be some other type of event. It might be a revival, but we'll do these events and people will come to know Christ. And those are important. Those are in fact uh, effective But according to what I'm seeing here, the New Testament church way, the way that we need to be renewed and revived is that on a daily basis, you and I are out in the world and we're interacting with people that we work with and we go to school with and we play ball with and we do different things with and we are leading them to come to know Jesus Christ. So that on Sunday morning, Cowboy walks up and says, hey, Brad, I want you to meet Bob here. I met Bob during this week And I led him to accept Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And he's a new Christian. I want you to meet him. Jim McDerris comes up and says, hey, hey, pastor, I want you to meet Sam here. Sam, I've known Sam for 20 years, but I ran back into him the other day and he was having a lot of problems. And I told him about God. And he said, that's what I need in my life. He accepted. Tanya comes up to him and says, pastor, this is Mary Elizabeth. And Mary Elizabeth, she's on a job that I've been working on the last couple of weeks, and we've been talking and some in our break time and so forth, and she was telling me about some things about her kids and so forth, and I told her, asked her if they were taking them to church, and she said no, and, and I led her to the Lord, and I want you to meet Mary Elizabeth. That's the way the New Testament church should be. Not that we do, and nothing wrong with having a special event like the Easter drama and people come. Those things are good, they're important, we will keep doing those. But if we're going to be the New Testament church on a daily basis, we're winning people who come to know Christ. They're being added daily. And so the New Testament church, they were reaching the lost for Christ. They were also committed to growing in God's word. If you look at verse 42, it says that they they were, let me just read this real quickly in verse 42. Says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. 
They were continuing steadfastly, which means they were constantly growing in God's word. And if we look at chapter two and we look at some other uh, of the uh, chapters in Acts, we would see that the New Testament church was not only gathering to grow in God's word as a group on Sunday morning, we might say, but they were doing it during the week. They were doing big group times of growing together. They were doing small group times of growing together. They were just hungry for God's word. And, and well, they should be because up to that point, most of the uh, time that was spent studying God's word were those that were back at the temple, the scribes and the Pharisees that were studying and writing and making their own laws and so forth. And now the people were wanting to say, let's see what it has to say for ourselves. Let's study it. And so that the more that they read, the more excited they got, and the more excited they got, the more they wanted more of it. That's the way growing in God's word is. It should be that it's not just, well, let's go hear what the preacher has to say. But let me study some on my own. Let's see what God's word has to say to me, myself. They were committed to growing in God's word. They also believed and experienced miraculous acts of God. If you were to look at verse 43, it tells us that fear filled them and, and that miracles and things were happening. And it's because that they just were open to whatever God wanted to do. They didn't believe that anything was too, too difficult or impossible for God. And there's a key thing that's mentioned in these scriptures that some people could overlook. It's the word prayer. It talks about that they were praying, gathering for prayer. They were people who saw the priority of prayer. And I believe that one word is the reason they were seeing miracles on a daily basis. They were praying, and as the more they prayed, the more that they believed. They believed and they were experiencing the miraculous acts of God. They weren't confined to, well, you know, according to black and white, two plus two, this is how it have to turn out. But they just believed that God could do anything and that God could meet all their needs. And so they were experiencing these miraculous acts of God. And I'll give you this last thing that I see about them. That was they cared as much for each other as they did for themselves. The Bible tells us in verses 44 and 45 that the people were sharing among themselves. They were selling things they had to help meet the need of somebody else. Basically, they were at state that they did not believe that anybody should do without. They did not believe that a brother or sister in Christ should be suffering while they're living a life of easy. And so if they had to sell something, if they had to give more to make sure a brother or sister in Christ that their needs were being met, they were doing it. You know what they were doing? They were treating the church like it was their family. Isn't that awesome? I guarantee you that there's probably very few people in this church, if any at all, that if their children were suffering, that they would keep living a life at easy and let their children suffer. They would do something to change that, wouldn't they? And the Bible tells us in these verses that they were doing that as a church. That they did not see anything as it was just theirs, it's mine, you can't have it, I'm not letting go of it. They said, if, you, if you're suffering, if you have a need, and I've got extra, I'm going to do whatever I can to help you. That was the heartbeat of the New Testament church. And I look at all these things and I'm thinking, is it time today that the church be renewed revived, refreshed, get back to its original state? Is there some things that we see in the New Testament church of where it started at, where we started at? Where we are today goes right back to Acts chapter two. That's where it all started. 
Is there some things that we need to revive to make the church what it needs to be today? Maybe we need to be praying that God will rise us up out of the ashes of Christianity and revive the church today and resurrect his church to be like it was when it first started. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you today. And Lord, I just thank you, God, for the truth that I see in your word. Truth that I believe that if we really look at the church and Christianity today, we're missing the boat on some things. We need to change some things, revive some things, re, re, bring them back to their original state. And Lord, I know that just like I was talking about little Sadie who was broken and she needed to be renewed and restored and revived to where she could function like she did originally. Lord, there may be some things that are broken about our church. Lord, I love our church. I love our people. I believe we've got a lot of good, godly people who love you. But Lord, we live in a world that's been infected and affected by sin and society. And Lord, I believe that it's time for we as the church to have it in our prayer that you would rise us up out of the ashes, that you would bring your church back to resurrection and to life. And Lord, that you would cause us to be the New Testament church. And so Lord, right now while I'm praying, I don't know if other people are praying right now, but I'm praying right now that everybody hear this. Lord, I'm praying that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, that you would remove any hardness or callousness or justification of our hearts, that we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and be like those New Testament Christians were that we'd be cut to the heart and we'd say, what have I got to do? What do I need to change in my life? Lord, I pray that we would be hungry for your word and Lord, that we would so invest our lives into our children that even if our children is not an all-star or our child is not the most popular or not the homecoming king or queen, but if they love you and they know you and they're growing spiritually, we're gonna be more excited about that than anything else. If they're living for you, that's what we're gonna be excited about. Lord, I'm praying that we as the church would not wait for an event or a worship service to see somebody saved. But Lord, I'm praying that we as the church would scatter outside the walls of this church during this week. And Lord, I'm praying that there'll be some individuals that will come back next Sunday and say, Pastor, I want you to meet so-and-so. I led them to come to know you as their personal savior. I led them to come to know the Lord as their personal Savior this week. And I just want you to meet them. I want you to know what God has done in their life. Man, Lord, I would know, God, that the church is rising up and being resurrected. Lord, when I hear the testimony of those during the week have been outside the walls of the church, leading men, women, boys, and girls to come to know you as their personal Savior. Lord, we couldn't talk about the 3,000 that were added to the church that day. Couldn't talk about the church adding people to the, their number and their salvations day by day without giving an opportunity today for someone who may need to know you, someone who maybe has been lost, struggling in life, feeling like they've been missing out on some things, feeling like there needs to be something more in their life. 
And today they need you. So Lord, I'm going to lead in a prayer and I'm just going to pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would grab some hearts, cut to some hearts. And Lord, I'm praying that this morning that somebody will accept you as their personal Savior. So if you're that person, we're praising God for you. (laughs) We're thankful that you're here. And we are so glad that today is going to be your day of salvation. So if you're unsure of your salvation or maybe you're You know you've never been saved. Would you pray a prayer silently in your heart just right there where you're sitting? Something that's like this. Dear Lord, I feel your Holy Spirit speaking to me. Lord, I know I've made some mistakes. I've had some struggles. But today I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to cleanse my heart. And I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer with me and you really meant it, you prayed to accept Christ as your Savior, you made the most important decision of your life. And so if you prayed that prayer with me, would you just slip up your hand just to, with nobody else looking around, just to acknowledge, Pastor, I prayed that prayer and I invited Jesus in my heart today. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you just slip up your hand when nobody else is looking around? Today was your day of salvation. You prayed that prayer with me this morning. Maybe you know that you're a Christian, but maybe there's been some barriers, some walls in your life that where you haven't been the New Testament Christian that you should be. You want to make some changes in your life. Is that you? Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to make some changes to be that New Testament, that New, New Testament Christian. Yes. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you, God, and I thank you for those who raised their hand today. I said, Pastor, I'm a Christian, but I haven't been like the New Testament Christians that you just read about today. So, Pastor, I need to make some changes. And so, Lord, I'm lifting them up to you. God, I pray that you would just grip their hearts, draw them to you. God, whether it's in this invitation, they come to the altar and kneel down and pray, or whether they just are saying a prayer right where they're at. But Lord, I'm praying that you would be with them, that you'd touch them with your Holy Spirit. God, that you would change them and transform them into the person you'd have them to be. And Lord, again, I'm praying, God, that we'd see some changes in some people's lives this week. Because Lord, today you've cut to some people's hearts. And inside they should be saying, what must I do? Lord, what do I need to change in my life? And Lord, I know that when that question is asked, you're gonna give an answer. And it's in your name I pray, amen.